Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the NOMCAST, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week, we review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course, our fellow podcasters. Check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. Follow us on the socials at nomcastpod. And most importantly, listen and subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. Hit that beat one time. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Elise. Host of Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise. A podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every Friday, we choose a new craft beer from a different brewery and talk about... The history of the beer. What's in it. How it was made. The history of the brewery. Along with tasting notes and more fun facts. After that, come chill with us as we bring you the latest in pop culture news and reviews. So check out Crackin' One Open, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Boom! I guess I like sports movies! Yeah, like real creepy like. Did you notice him with his pants down? Oh, with his pants yeah. I just noticed somebody was there. Yeah. No, his, his pants are down. He's taking it down. Is that? I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> I want to do the secret cabal stuff. I don't want. I don't want to just go oh, and drink. Still, you still got to wear a cloak and stuff. No, I no, no. I want the. Up. I want the real cabal stuff. Like I want the stuff <laughs> for controlling the world. I want the secret. Break. You know what? Screw that. Hi, I'm Mike Field, and I'm Mike Butler, and you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. What's up? Nothing. What's going on with you? Just starting some season seven stuff. Ooh. Ooh. It's happy November day here. It's as... 85 degrees outside. <laughs> uh, yes, it's a, yeah, the worst kept secret in the world is record ahead of time. So, but you're listening to this in November. Thanksgiving's just around the corner. We're all probably home distance learning. You know mm. how it is. You can smell that stuff already. Exactly. <laughs> the election's coming up, right? Is everyone excited for insert name here? <laughs> you leave politics out of here. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just trying to be like, What's in the now when people listen to this episode? How about that Corona too? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that a, we're talking about the beer? This is a sequel. Right. <laughs> so, Mike, why don't you let everybody know what our first movie is for season seven and what's it about? All right. Today we are talking about the 1974 Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau movie, The Front Page, directed by Billy Wilder. And here is the best synopsis. I'd like to find. remind you that that's you're starting to dive into the facts section or the facts portion of the show, and that's my section. So just watch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you came to the wrong town, buddy. <laughs> when Hilde Johnson, top reporter of a Chicago newspaper, announces that he is quitting to get married, his editor, Walter Burns, desperately tries to change his mind. When denial, cursing, and luring don't work, Walter resorts to tricks. It's the day before a supposed communist is to be hanged, and all of Chicago waits with bated breath. Meanwhile, each of the papers has a man on the story trying to get a scoop or angle for themselves. 
with a train to catch at midnight to join his fiancée, Hildy is at first not interested, but events and his own habits work against him as the day unfolds, and he can't help but get roped in, especially when the man to be executed escapes and then almost literally falls into his lap. Ooh, almost literally. All right, so the front page came out on Wednesday, December 18th, 1974. It was a runtime of 105 minutes. It's rated PG. It's a hard PG, which I like. Mm-hmm. Production budget of $4 million. Uh, it's worldwide gross, basically. It made $15 million, although they do throw a figure in there that it, it made $7 million in theater rentals, which is theaters will rent out the, the copy of the movie to play. That's mm-hmm. how they okay. use, you know, so they kind of still do it that way now. Production company was Universal Pictures and was distributed by Universal Pictures. Now, we've talked, we've done older movies before. And so the box office weekend for older movies is not as it is now. You're not going to have a bunch of movies that come out at the same time. Right. So bear with me because I have a ton of movies I'm going to go through that came out all in the month of the, the two weeks in November and then all in the month of December. And as I'm going through these movies, just think about all these movies that are out at the same time. All right. So this movie came out on the 18th. Now you had on December 9th, you had Alice doesn't live here anymore. That's a Martin Scorsese film on the 12th of December. You had the Godfather part two. The 14th was towering Inferno. The 15th was young Frankenstein. The 18th, which is the same day as this one is the man with the golden gun. And then after that, you had black Christmas on the 20th. And then in November, you had Earthquake on the 15th and November 15th and then Murder on the Orient Express on the 24th. That is the Albert Finney Murder on the Orient Express. So you have a huge, right? <laughs> there is a huge list of movies here that are all watchable, that, that are con- watched today. Right. Yeah, that's 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 crazy. That, that is a that is a uh, that is a big time in in I guess, box office in, in 1974. There's so many good movies. out Now, you could say what you want about Earthquake and Towering Inferno. Uh, in terms of quality of like, well, those aren't that great of a movie, quote unquote, but those are spectacles to go to. Those are events. Right. Towering Inferno is a major event. There are so many people in that movie. The Godfather Part 2 is, I mean, come on. Here. It's Godfather Part 2. <laughs> so, and, and I got a little uh, James Bond in there for you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. You're Although welcome. the man with the golden gun. It's not about. The golden gun what? is iconic. Remember. I uh, know. I got you. But in terms of Roger Moore movies, that's. Yeah. Actually, actually, probably one of the better ones. <laughs> we have to, but think of it like this too. It's just the anticipation of these movies coming out. Oh, so for sure, exactly. So they're busy because everyone's been wanting to see them. But this is what I like about the delay for No Time to Die is it's a November release where you can see even back in the Roger Moore days, James Bond's come out in November. <laughs> I don't know why they were thinking let's put it out in if March. It, if it even comes out in November, <laughs> but it, which is going to be in a couple weeks, right from this episode. From this episode, like a week and a half. Yeah. Saying, oh, well, at this, at this point, you either already know it's been pushed or whatever. You're going to hear a ding Duh. saying, and hey, which, guys, the dings are very 2022. The dings now. are very obnoxious. <laughs> you need to lower those dings. Shit, not the boss of me. Hey, guys. Anyway, as you all should know by now, No Time to Die is not coming out in November, but instead April 2nd, 2021. Unless you're listening to this episode after April 2021 and now know that it's probably November 2021 or 2022. Who knows? Mike said that this was directed by Billy Wilder. He also wrote it along with IAL Diamond. Now, as we go through this list, I want you to be prepared because here come the Oscar awards and here come the Oscar nominations. Okay. For all of, for most of the people involved here. So Billy Wilder, if you don't know already, uh, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, I would hope you would know to the point where I actually watched a movie that he did uh, his, the first movie that 
they all work together. The fortune cookie with Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau and Billy Wilder. Okay, I've never seen it. I know of it, but I've never seen I it. I just I watched that yesterday because I was just I haven't watched a lot of I don't I haven't watched as many Billy Billy Wilder movies as I want to. But anyways, mm-hmm. he's been nominated twenty three times for Oscars. He's won six. He won the Oscar for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay for the movie The Apartment, which also stars Jack Lemon. He won Best Story and Screenplay for the 1953 movie Sunset Boulevard, which I think is about to be remade, which is a very good movie. And he won Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay for the 1946 movie The Lost Weekend. Um, the other, some other movies that he's done, he's done Some Like It Hot, Witness for the Prosecution, Style Like 17, Double Indemnity, and Sabrina. Not the Harrison Ford one, the uh, the one that Harrison Ford was based on. But <laughs> I'm just like, you have probably heard these movies before, and you probably people have probably told you, wow, those movies are pretty good. I would recommend, if there's anything I can recommend for you right now, is try to watch Billy Wilder movies, because they're, they're really, really good. I think, I would hope that most people who are into film have seen at least some like it hot at this point. I, I, w- I would hope. Like, I've seen Style Like 17, I've seen Double Indemnity. I've not seen... Uh, Stalic Seventeen. Really, I've seen Double Indemnity. Yeah. Double Indemnity. I want to see it again, but it's it's good. It's a good movie. All right. So he wrote this movie with, like I told said before, I A L Diamond, and uh, he's actually his writing partner. I should have wrote the other guys. He's he has two writing partners. This is the other writing partner. Uh, Diamond also co-wrote The Apartment, so he won an Oscar for that. He's also written a movie called Cactus Flower and Monkey Business. Now Cactus Flower has the dubious, uh, I guess, I don't know. It's what would what, the word I be looking for. Um, I, 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 maybe yeah. you didn't know this, but the movie Just Go With It that Adam Sandler's in with yeah. that, that's basically Cactus Flower. <laughs> that's based on that. So they so it's funny when you think of that and you're like, mm, okay. This is based on a play now that is written by Ben Hecht and Charles MacArthur. Now, Ben Hecht has won two Oscars, one for the movie The Underworld and one for the movie The Scoundrel, who he wrote with MacArthur. So obviously MacArthur won the Oscar there too. He's been nominated for the Alfred Hitchcock movie Notorious. Angels over Broadway, Wuthering Heights, and Viva Villa. Via, excuse me, Viva Via. Um, MacArthur has written uh, most of MacArthur's stuff is uncredited, but just some of the uncredited rights that he has, he had read Freaks, Angels with Dirty Faces, and he has a story credit for Gunga Din, but it's also uncredited. They also wrote a play called Two Plays, uh, Ladies and Gentlemen, which was made into the movie called Perfect Strangers, and then Twentieth Century, which was also made into a movie of another na- of another name. But they wrote the the play. Of the front page, which was in 1928, right? Is that right? Did I say that right? Yes, they wrote the play in 1928. If the if Mike's description of the front page sounds familiar to you, it might be because you saw the movie called His Girl Friday, which came out in 1940 with Cary Grant, which is basically the same. It's the same story except the Hildy character that Jack Lemmon plays is actually his ex-wife. And it, and it's like a it's like a romantic drama comedy, but it's the same same idea. They're there, he's there as a reporter. And his Girl Friday is pretty famous. So this is yeah. like this this play has been remade a couple times because there's also a 1931 movie as the front page as well. But yeah, so it's it's a big deal, I guess. Is right. what what's the word I'm what what I'm trying to say here? Cinematography by Jordan Cronenworth. He had done Altered States. He did Blade Runner. Mr. Butler. He also was nominated. He was also <laughs> nominated like Runner. That's for, why he said that. <laughs> he was nominated for an Oscar for the movie Peggy Sue Got Married, which is with Nicolas Cage and Kathleen Turner, directed by Coppola. Right? Francis Ford Coppola directed that? Uh, yes. Yeah. Produced by Paul. You give me the look like he did. Produced by Paul <laughs> Monash or Monash and Jennings Lang. Uh, now, Paul Monash has, has produced Big Trouble in Little China, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids, Slaughterhouse Five, and Carrie. 
Jennings Lang has produced produced all the airports, Airport 75, 77, 79. Uh, well, the 79 one's called the Concord. And then High Plains Drifter, among other things. Edited by Ralph E. Winters. Winters won the Oscar for editing for Ben-Hur. was nominated for Quo Vadis, or Vadis. I'm sorry, I've said that wrong. Nominated for Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, The Great Race, and Koch. Koch is another, is a movie that Walter Matthau stars in that he was nominated for an Oscar, but was directed by Jack Lemmon. <laughs> I really like when we do the older movies because there's really a lot of connections I like seeing here. And one of the, so when I never Wait, there's a connection between Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. What? This, this is the third of 11 films they did. Brother. <laughs> uh, so I don't usually put these in terms of behind the scenes stuff, but I wanted to because it's my big part of the movie that I really like is the set. Mm-hmm. So the set decorator is James W. Payne, and he won the Oscar for The Sting. He was nominated for Come Blow Your Horn, the Oscar, and he also did Slapshot. And then the art director was Henry Bumstead, or Bumstead. He also won the Oscar for The Sting. He also won an Oscar for To Kill a Mockingbird. He was nominated for Vertigo and Unforgiven, the 1982 Unforgiven. That was it. I just wanted to throw that out there. All right. So you have Jack Lemmon as Hilda Johnson. Um, I really hope people know who Jack Lemmon is. If you don't, you really should go back to watch a lot of his older stuff because he is. I'm going to start. Well, when we get into the movie, I'm just going to start praising Jack Lemmon. <laughs> Probably, which you know, I'm I'm okay with. Lemon has been nominated for eight Oscars, and he won two. He was he won for Save the Tiger and Mr. Roberts. He's also you probably know him from Grumpy Old Men, but he is awesome in Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. I suggest you check that movie out. Walter Matthau, coffees for closers. <laughs> awesome. Walter Matthau plays Walter Burns. He won the Oscar for the Fortune Cookie. He was nominated for the Sunshine Boys, Koch, and he also is in Mike, an episode we did. Oh, uh, come uh, on. King Creole, Mike. King Creole. Wow. I couldn't remember the name. Wow. Wow. So I remember the scene. <laughs> <laughs> we have a young, young Susan Sarandon as Peggy Grant. She won the Oscar for Dead Man Walking. Great movie. She was also in The Client, Lorenzo's Oil, Thelma and Louise in Atlantic City, where she was nominated in all those movies that I just said. Vincent Gardenia plays the sheriff. He was nominated for Oscar for Moonstruck. Very funny movie. And also Bang the Drum Slowly. He is also in The Death Wish. And Little Shop, excuse me, not the Death Wish, Death Wish, Death Wish, and Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, Guardian is a big, uh, a lot of these people are big on the stage. So you may not have seen, all, they might be in movies here and there, but they made a lot of their bones on the stage and right. are known for their stage work. Austin Pendleton plays Earl Williams. He's from My Cousin Vinny, A Beautiful Mind, The Muppet Movie, and Short Circuit. Harold Gould plays the mayor. He's in The Sting. He's in the TV show The Golden Girls, which I know because he's the one that was dating Rose. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's also in Silent Movie and Patch Adams. And I've got another Golden Girls one coming up, too. David Wayne as Benzinger. He's from The Andromeda Strain, Adam's Rib, How to Marry a Millionaire. Alan Garfield as Kruger from Beverly Hills Cop 2, The Majestic, and Nashville. Charles Durning as Murphy, who's nominated for an Oscar for The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas and To Be or Not to Be. He's also in The Hudsucker Proxy, Tootsie, and Dog Day Afternoon. Her Herb Edelman as Schwartz. He's Dorothy's husband and the <laughs> ex-husband in the Golden Girls TV show. I mean, quite honestly, the show's awesome. He's also in The Odd Couple and Barefoot in the Park. You have Dick O'Neill as McHugh from Te- The Taking of Pelham 123, The Jerk, and Mosquito Coast. And then you have two more. Doro Mirandi or Mirandi as Jenny. She's in Our Town, The Man with the Golden Arm, and The Whistle Eaton Falls. And I could not, and I could be remiss without mentioning that Carol Burnett is in this movie. She plays Molly Malloy, and she might know her from The Carol Burnett Show. She's also in Annie and The Four Seasons. All right, Butler. I've got tons of other facts. That I can go through and then I'll probably because I've already forgotten a bunch of them. <laughs> this movie was nominated for three Golden Globes. Just give you that little right there. And you know what? Let's just go into the movie because I, I'll just I'll just pepper in all this stuff. 
I was uh, gonna say that's our show, everybody. Good night. No, I mean seriously, <laughs> I've got a ton of other facts here, but we'll if I can get to them, I will. If not, I don't want to just bog it down with facts. You had never seen this movie. Nope. I have seen this movie. Good for you. I like this movie. Do you like this movie? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I really really like this movie. I was going into it expecting to like at least the performances of Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau because, I mean, yeah, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Yeah. Uh, but. Right from the start of the movie, I just loved how it opened. I loved the set. I loved the lighting. I loved the acting. I loved the dialogue. Although there are a couple of parts where the dialogue gets a little Ooh. too stagey. Ooh. But I'm sure we'll get to it. Well, it's a play. Yeah. <laughs> but it does, that doesn't yeah. always fit in a movie. I found myself laughing. I thought it was awesome. I thought the whole movie was great. Excellent. I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Excellent. Yeah. I think because the wordsmith in me, really, I really don't have a problem when a play is put on screen. I mean, I know that you want to make it more of a movie, so you want to move locations and, and, and all that stuff. But when they're in the press room and they're playing cards and, and it all plays out, oh, yeah. and that, that stuff is just I, I, that's what I'm there for. I'm there for that. I don't care if we're in a in a location for 45 minutes of the movie and we're working within the location. Oh, no, that's because yeah. it's just so. And 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 here we go. Jack Lemon is so smooth with hit going from emotion to emotion from dialogue to dialogue, the jumps that he makes are so like effortless. And I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's a lot of effort on, on his part or right. was on his part. We obviously he's obviously passed away, but it's just such a joy to watch him. And especially obviously him and Matt out together. They're just so at ease and it, it's nothing ever feels forced. I don't know how you feel there. No, they're that's why they made 11. <laughs> films. Well, plus like, they like their friends. Yeah, it's just their chemistry together, whether they're best friends, enemies, coworkers, it doesn't matter. Right. It's it's always amazing and that that effortlessness you say. Yeah. I think that helps in a movie like this where you come in at the end of their career together, right. essentially. But you immediate immediately feel that they've been working together forever as right. these characters, as Hildy and uh, Burns. Mm-hmm. As just like perfect. Mm-hmm. As soon as Hildy walks through the door, you don't have to you don't have to worry about working very hard to establish this connection. Mhm. <laughs> when he comes in, when Hildy comes in and he prances through and he waves that, that the cane in the beginning cane and yeah. he's just so like walking through everything. He comes in, he starts talking to Matthau. You sit down like, oh man, Jack Lemon, like that's acting <laughs> right there. That is amazing. Right. There's not because I don't I don't they're so good. And I'm wondering if you can can you find a comparable duo in today's movie world? Like, here's the thing. And we talk about this a lot. And I kind of I'm glad you like this movie because I I had an idea you would like it because I said to you, you being an actor, you being someone who's on stage, I think you would appreciate it a lot more. Oh, yeah. Um, What's funny is as I get older, as I got older and you start writing and and I'm not saying like in the last two years, I'm saying over the last couple of decades, just writing and and watching stuff and, and seeing people perform. And we've talked about it already. There is such an accomplishment and there's such a sense of confidence with theater actors that come onto the screen where they know what they're doing, you, you know, compared to somebody who is just strictly film compared to somebody who is um, all they know is film and all they know is how to act on film. And they don't mm-hmm. know how to act in front of an audience for two straight hours and not having the, the, the luxury of another take, you know, there's something that is really just, you just feel like you're going to watch something that is going to be good. When when you when you see that, you know what I mean. I think Absolutely, we talked yeah. about I, we I, when we talked about before 
to get off the front page a little bit. I know we talked about it. One of the episodes we talked about Jake Gyllenhaal, how he did um, Moonlight Mile with Dustin Hoffman. And he told him to go. To and he stage. said, he said, what should he say? Go do stage. And he did. And when he's ever since he's come back from that, you can just tell that he there's he's got there's a confidence in his acting, whether you like the movie or not. I'm not saying that. And I, and I know everyone's probably thinking about Spider-Man Far From Home. But I'm just I'm <laughs> what I'm saying is that his performances are just more. And the the best word I can use is confident. Is, no, you know what I mean? The choices he makes now, the he's less concerned about I don't know, being this pretty boy on stage or just hitting his marks or whatever. Like what's the movie he did where he was the the night reporter or whatever? Oh, um Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. I really didn't care for Nightcrawler that okay. much. But he is fantastic in Nightcrawler. Yeah. He is absolutely amazing. And that's something after he did stage because the commitment to his character shows through in there. Mm-hmm. And that's something you get with that stage acting is when you do film, the director can only spend so much time with you yeah, because you don't have the luxury of being on stage and rehearsals and rehearsals and rehearsals. And then the director is going to go talk to the set guy. No, he's talking to the set guy while talking to you, while talking to the lighting guy, while doing this. And like you said, as a film director, if you do a good take, you're just not going to give notes. You're just gonna be like, that was good. Let's go. Mm-hmm. But a stage director, good or not good, he's still going to talk to you, but you know, tell you what worked. Talk to you about that character and really well. That's what that. you're doing. That's what you're doing on stage directing. You're all you're working on is character, right? You're that's because that's all. Oh, sure, blocking and where things are going to go, where you should be. That's secondary almost, but you're focused on your character because that's what you're. That's, that's the biggest be, thing yeah. you're showing everywhere. Yeah. And as an actor, then you're stand like you said. You're two hours on stage mm-hmm. sometimes, like three. Yeah, and you have to commit to your character. You have to be true and in the moment because if you're not. You're going to forget your lines. You're right. going to forget your blocking. You're going to screw one person up, which is going to screw something, and that's a domino effect. You can't call cut and redo. Right. And that kind of commitment to character shines through with all stage actors who go, well, 90% of stage actors who go onto camera. Some of them then can't really perform in front of camera. But that's fine. Are you know what? And I guess still, yeah. that commitment to character can't be beat in terms of stage work. I, I, think, I, think, I think I have a little bit more of a regard for somebody who does stage work than I do for somebody who does film. I mean, I, there, there are, there are obviously great performances in film and people do, you know, do fantastic acting in film. Mm-hmm. I'm not knocking any of that, right. but I just think that I, I always hold a little bit higher when I, when I see somebody on stage performing, you know, it's a different type of performance. It's not, it's, it's, it's more outward. Right. You know, and that's, and, but that's all understandable, but the people that can go back and forth from it are fantastic. But even if somebody knows that, you know what, I'm more of a stage person. When I, when we did, um, we watched I watched Revolution. Okay. <laughs> and I told you that this that was the movie. This is an Al Pacino in uh Revolutionary War movie. I they all remember our quote. <laughs> uh, and uh and he, it was the movie that made him quit, take a break from acting to go to return to the stage. But that I understand that. I, I get that because and that's a that's a bold choice, but that's a great, you know, that's still a great choice. Yeah. Side note, one of the notes in IMDb for Revolution is this movie's about the Revolutionary War. Really? <laughs> Really? Anyways. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I, I this I don't want this movie to. Why don't you go to your negatives? Because this movie's just going to we're going to just talk about how much we like this movie. But give me something that because you said you didn't like some of the dialogue. So I'm curious what um, and I, I've got some quotes here about the making of the movie because it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, I guess. OK, so but go, go to something that maybe jumped out at you that you didn't like in terms of dialogue or didn't fit, I guess. Carol Burnett as Molly, she has this speech 
when she first visits the press room. Yep. She enters and she has her big speech about how the press were all dogs and they're lying about saying that, you know, Earl went to her and proposed to her and they were together and he she was gonna marry him on death row no matter what, even after he's declared dead or whatever. And it was all lies and they're tarnishing her name and the name of Earl, who's a sweet kid. Is that when the guy tells her the quote when he's like, ah, put it on a Victrola record. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just like when she does that, she enters and her whole, she walks around the table and she makes this big speech. It's so grandiose and it's a little too big and it's a little too wordy that it does come across less as conversational, Mm -hmm. less real. I feel it just feels too stagey and that's, that's fine if that's how it was written for the stage, but I feel like it could have been done a little differently or toned down. Well, I, I that's know, not it's, your... It's really monolog Your comment is not unknown. That is one of the comments about the movie. Mm-hmm. The problem is that she's in a different movie. They, they've they given her speech in this movie is uh, is for a melodrama. And yeah. everybody... And it's not it's not her fault. Everyone in the movie is doing comedy. And she's there to do the do the melodrama and the emotion to make you feel for Earl Williams. And it's it looks out of place. So it shines a light on it. Like, wow, she's not everyone else here is having a good time. And she is not right to the point where there's a story where she was on a plane and they ran the movie because she was not happy with her performance and neither were critics. And so um, they ran the movie. And after the movie, she turned around the entire planet, apologized for her performance. (laughs) Which uh, is fine. I don't think Carol Burnett has to apologize. She doesn't, but she's Carol in a Burnett. she's in a different movie, and that's I get that's not her fault. We've talked about it before. Making a movie takes a village. It's not just one person, right. all that stuff. I don't think it's her perform. It is kind of her performance. It's but the director Billy Wilder let it happen. No, I hear you. It's no, just, I get yeah, you. It's just I didn't, and I understand that there's supposed to be some emotion. This guy's on death row. They're real reporters. There is some drama. To it's not a straight up comedy, but that outburst. Like I was okay with the second time she comes in too, and she's trying to hide her, and she jumps out the window. Yeah, I didn't think that was as grandiose and stagey as that monologue. Well, the monologue is meant, I think, for you to feel for Earl to understand that, and also to get exposition. It does out. get a lot of exposition yeah, yeah. out, but I think it could have been handled a little better. Better, maybe done a little bit more, mm-hmm. cut up more dialogue between. Maybe have the reporters not go from instant vitriol, but maybe an annoyance yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. But it's just instantly just overacting and I just it really pulled me out of the movie for that one scene but then it metal, mellowed out again mm-hmm. and I was like okay now we're back mm-hmm. that was really one of my only big negatives big negatives to it was just that I was like okay I didn't have any problems with the movie I mean I I mean that I that did stand out didn't bother me I like seeing Carol Burnett, so that didn't bother me mm-hmm. uh so Jack Lemon said that he had I had this is a quote I had one regret about the film Billy would not let us overlap our lines more. I think that we would have made it better. I feel it's a piece in which you must overlap. But Billy, the writer, wanted to hear all the words clearly, and he wanted the audience to hear the words. I would have liked to overlap to the point where you lost some of the dialogue. That makes sense. Yeah. I understand that that his that regret. Wilder has a quote where he goes, I'm against remakes in general. Obviously, this one's a remake. Because <laughs> if a picture is good, you shouldn't remake it. And if it's lousy, why remake it? It was not one of my pictures I was particularly proud of. So he had a that was in his biography or something like that. Or he, he said it to his biographer. Interesting. Pendleton, who played Earl Williams, has claims that Mathal Lemon and Wilder didn't get along while filming and they vowed they'd never work again. But seven years later, they did buddy buddy. So, I mean, you know, we take that for what it is. So mm-hmm. it wasn't all like, oh, my God, this is great experience. Yeah. 
behind the scene, probably. Well, um, when you have all those big names sometimes, like we, we've talked about it before, you get all these big personalities, you're going to clash a little bit. But right. sometimes that makes war a really good film. Right. Everyone right. tries to one-up each other, bring their best to prove that they're right. But Matthew is such a jerk in this movie. Like, he's... He's not even someone like I know what you need, Hildy. He's just such a jerk. He doesn't want to lose Hildy. One of my one of my notes in this is that he would make the perfect Perry White in like a Superman movie. Oh yeah. And I never thought about him being like this newspaper guy, but like I was like watching him like, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> when he's on the phone with his, when he goes to the prison and he's on the phone with the other guy, and he's like, screw your diabetes, and he's oh, yeah. and then he's <laughs> this like, what I get for getting somebody the disease. Yeah, I know it's like ever hiring someone with a disease. It's like that's just so, he's so mean, but it's so awesome. I mean, and how he 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 basically cons Benzinger to write his poem because he doesn't want to get him to the oh, world right, top desk. Yeah. It's like, and he's like, yeah, I'm sending a guy over to you from the whatever from the Tribune or whatever it was from the Post, and like, tell him his poem sucks and kick him down the stairs. No matter how good it is, tell him it's garbage. Tell him it's trash. <laughs> I also love when he goes to uh, visit Susan Sarandon and he goes in oh, as the cop. This, yeah. So that's those poor teenage girls. They didn't need to see that. <laughs> what was he wearing under the raincoat? His underwear and socks. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I want to talk about the language in it. Now, it's not bad, but they say like they say the shit. They say bitch. They say a bunch of different words. Right. And I'm like thinking to myself, this is PG movie. This Pre-Temple of Doom? Uh, no, I get it. I, I'm I'm fine. I was yeah. fine with it. I just was, it's really, I mean, it's a 74 movie. So you're really kind of surprised to hear that back then, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how audiences responded to that. Well, 74 is, it's a little bit later at that point. You're getting True. into the times of like French Connection and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I think it seems a little more shocking because the movie's actually set in 1929. True. So then you have this older aesthetic, which makes it seem like, wow, they're really really dark with it i like the lighting a lot because i didn't think the lighting was representative of most ways that films from 1974 are lit I, it looked like a film that was lit from like the early 80s mm -hmm. i really enjoyed the lighting in especially the press rooms i, I was very impressed well so it's the set so it's you got you got set light in there you but it's it's light, also, also smoky a little it's a little smoky smoky lights you've got these little point lights that reflect on certain things in the room which I couldn't tell where the point lights were coming from, but they beamed this white light mm -hmm. on certain objects that gave it this real quality that you don't see in a lot of sets from the early 70s or 60s. Do you, do you think that the gallows was a set or do you think that was a real location? Because it's always looking a, down. Could have been a back lot. Yeah. I felt yeah. like it was a back lot. Although I do like that opening. Can you keep it down up here? We're trying to do some work. And the cop stops everything <laughs> and then slowly looks up and goes, screw you. <laughs> and then gets back to work. I was like, all right, I like this. With, kind of with the exception of when they shoot up the Daughters of the American Revolution. I think that was what it was. Yeah. That, uh, when they shoot that up and they're like, no one heard it except the deaf janitor. <laughs> oh, my God. Those lines were so great. <laughs> one of my favorite ones was uh, one of the women nearby gave birth to a premature five and a half pound baby boy. Police examined it to make sure it wasn't Earl Williams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so but with the exception of that and when that scene, when they shoot up the place and when they're obviously driving, when they keep saying there's Earl Williams here and they keep turning around. Yeah, uh, I, I can't. I think everything else must have been on a set. Uh, maybe the courthouse right. steps when he was first at the steps uh, when she drops off the taxi. Mm -hmm. They shot in L.A. Uh, so well, they shot in an opera house too. True, yes, because yeah. that's where you first meet Susan Sarandon's uh, Peggy. Right, right, right. So I don't, but everything other than that, I think everything else is a set. Yeah, I one of the notes I had, which it didn't take me out of the movie, I just noticed it because I was looking for it. 
when the police cars are driving down the street, the street is decidedly 1970s. Of course. They didn't dress the street at all. But they you just don't care. The cars. No. Yeah, I didn't care. <laughs> I was just like, that's a that's a 70s convenience store right there <laughs> with all its ads and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Jack Lemon, I just want to point this out because I don't know if we're going to talk about his ad agency job. Hildy's ad agency job sure. he's going to get. His $129 a week. Yeah. In 1929, yeah, would have been $2,254.16 a week now. Now, but that doesn't a that, lot of money, of course. Of course, that's why he's taking it. Yeah. I would have taken it too. <laughs> tell the where's that? Where's the first stop? Can I tell, tell him to tell him to arrest Hilly Johnson? Son of a bitch stole my watch. <laughs> that's the all that line is is from the play. This is the only movie of all the remakes that has that line. Like his Gorfade doesn't, um, the original front page doesn't. This is the only one. That's a great. That's a great last line, and this is the only one that uses it. Oh, because they wanted to, all the other ones wanted to end on more of a positive note. I'm sure. I don't know because I mean that's that's the best thing. Of, one of the best things about the Walter character, which it's Walter Matthau, but it's Walter Burns, is that he is a dick to the end. He, right. You know yeah. what I mean? He is the same. He 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 doesn't like. Oh, I feel bad. It's not. You don't see that. The, the white light come down in the shed and like, you know, he's like all like beautiful looking. I, I care. I want you guys to be together. No, he is a dick till the end, yep. which, uh, as he should be. Um, I love. So the Rudy Kepler character is 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 just for this movie. He was not in the play. OK, but I loved the postscript about him and Benzinger opening up an antique shop in Maine. Oh, yeah. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> but I didn't get the fact because I when I was reading the notes, I did not get the that when he takes him to the bathroom to men his bloody nose yeah um that that's when he seduces him like that's was that was one of the notes oh, really? like that's when oh, he seduces him but i didn't yeah. get that i was like oh i wish i kind of noticed that if they were in the background just kind of seeing because there's a moment when they're all singing and he and, puts his hand on his yeah hand. he brings yeah. him the drink and and so but you knew that was that was coming I, th- I just thought that was great but i never got i wanted to see if i could see that moment after the fact they went to the bathroom to see if like things changed between them in the background but i never caught it and that's it. He's got his nice uh, soft pink toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's from the opening. Because they live there. They basically, I guess they're there the whole time. Yeah. They make sure yeah. they get all the news for the execution and all that. I love the disregard for prohibition. <laughs> when he's just like, I'm going to tell the prosecutor, the ter- prosecuting attorney is like, well, you better, better not. I bought that from his brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's just, just, yeah, it's Chicago, number one. So it's no one's paying attention. It's just, I just love the fact that, oh my God, prohibition. <laughs> Everyone was flauntless. Who cares? Yeah. Nobody cared. All the- they did was create the mafia. <laughs> so, do you? Th- Let me ask you this then, because I think I I know how, who I would suggest this film to. Who would you suggest this film people to watch this film? Like not everybody, obviously. Are we already wrapping up the podcast. Am I? No, I'm just okay. Because this is usually our last question. End? Okay, All right, good. No, that's fine. fine. You got more. We're only at thirty minutes. Okay, go ahead. Talk about more. I, no, was, I was asking. I was just. I was, was, I was. I thought you were trying to. Wrap no, up I'm the not wrapping it up. Okay, I'm not wrapping it up. Uh, I would. Jeez. I would recommend this to a anyone who likes acting. Anyone who's interested in acting. Uh, this is something they should show for drama students. This is this is perfect because you can show how what you're learning. Because a lot of drama students today don't learn a lot about film acting. Sure. There's maybe. In one acting class, one or two days worth of classes where you learn film, and then that that's it. Then okay, you're done. This is perfect to say. Here's, hold on, hold on. What really? Yeah, they don't. It's like all right. Here's here's film acting. 
Well, what that makes no sense. That's what you that, that's your major. Isn't that what it is? It's mostly just stage acting or acting in general. Oh, okay, okay. That's okay. like, like one or two days, one or two classes we'll go over. And here's what makes it different for film. Okay. Um, but this is the perfect example where a drama teacher can be like, this is why we're teaching you stage acting. Yeah. Everything we're teaching you can do on film. You tone it down a little bit. You, do you just lower it. Yeah. Look at what stage acting can do for you on film. Look at how much better your characters are. Look at how much better you perform relationship between the characters the chemistry you have the way you use the dialogue it's just like that's the perfect thing to be like and that's how you transition into film and that's perfect and i think that's something you show i think this is a great thing to show filmmakers look what they do with as, as few sets as possible yeah. it all takes place in a room and it's still captivating it's still awesome i think i think to your point about the filmmakers i think people modern filmmakers not all some most all no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um i i they they have the camera and they have the tools and they feel like they need to use them. And I think there should be some kind of belief in yourself that you can put the camera and you can move the camera, but you can't have a 10 to 15 minute scene where it's just dialogue and you're just following organically with the camera, whether you're moving it on a dolly, whether you have it on a, um, on a steady cam or whether you just have it still, I mean, you let your actors perform. Yep. If the script is, does its job and it's a great script, which I would hope you're doing this movie because you really like the script and it's really done well. People will sit there and let and watch it and listen to it. I mean, I, I they, they just will. It's, but I think when people, filmmakers have a camera and they have all these tools and tricks they want to use, they feel like they need to use them in order to validate themselves as a director or validate themselves as a filmmaker. And I'm here to tell you, you don't need to knowing not to use all that stuff helps. Well, that's what you say on the cast all the time. You talk yeah. about, you know, Spielberg and Scorsese. You really want to see them do a, you know, two million dollar budget movie and just be like, all right, let's see if you still got what it takes. Absolutely, I think they do. I think they would absolutely. I mean, that's a. I don't know if they'd want to, but that I, I would. If you were somebody who owned a production company and mm -hmm. you had twenty million to play with, wouldn't that be an awesome thing to go to them to go to to pick out ten directors that you really love? And that really do a lot of work. And you say, I'm going to give you $2 million. That's all you get. Make me a movie. Yeah. I mean, I would wonder if they would maybe be interested in maybe a short film. Make anything you want. Do a short film collection of all these guys doing a really low budget short yeah. film. I mean, that'd be something. That'd be very interesting. I mean, I, I mean, because make me a movie. Like, pretend you don't have any money. Pretend you're an independent filmmaker and you're coming up. Show me what you got. Yep. Why not? It's such a challenge. It'd be very interesting. I'd be very interested to see that. It's never going to happen. But. <laughs> Um, so kind of to give you a little bit more background in terms of, cause I told you I was going to get to a lot of facts that were in here that mm -hmm, I couldn't mm -hmm, get to. Mm -hmm. So the producer, Paul Monash or Monash, who I mentioned, he had one, he produced, you know, Big Trouble Little China, Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, amongst other things. He actually is an uncredited writer for On Touch of Evil, the okay. Orson Welles movie, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Winters, the editor of this movie, cause I had just given you, I gave, I gave you Winters, all the movies that he was nominated for, and you might not have heard some of those i'm sure you heard of ben hur and seven brides for seven brothers but he also edited the shot in the dark the pink panther cutthroat island the thomas crown affair the 1968 version and king kong 1976 version hmm. and then i told i mentioned before that jack lemmon was nominated for eight oscars and won two and i i went through the movies that he was some of the movies he was in i wanted to give you some of other movies which was missing tribute these are the movies he was nominated for missing tribute the china syndrome which we should put on the list days of wine the days of wine and roses the apartment and some like it hot so 
don't know. Just wanted to throw that out there. Some more facts. <laughs> a lot of facts. In this one. I do because I, I, when we do the older movies, I'm like I said before at the start, I'm very interested in just who's worked on what and where they're from. And cause you don't realize you know, it. What one of the things that, and I didn't, I didn't list all the cast. I didn't list every single, I felt like I did, but I didn't list every single member of the, uh, Press. press tour because some of them didn't really go on to do a lot of the things you wouldn't know about and, um, but a ton of these people were in Golden Girls episodes <laughs> which it makes sense because when you as you get older there's not many roles out there this is in the 80s um, 80s yeah there's not many roles out there for for people so you, you can understand why they gravitate towards TV because there's tons of roles on TV to do but yeah. like the Golden Girls was such a the Golden Girls was such a huge phenomenon and it was just, it was obviously people that were older so you, there was a need for older cast members. So it's it's just funny to see all these people here. I mean, there's probably tons of people that were guest starred on the Golden Girls that were very busy in the 70s. Do you know what I mean? In the yeah. 60s in terms of doing uh, doing uh, movie work. Um, so I, and I, I just I like when we do older movies because it's just I don't know it. I don't want to I don't want to think back on older films in a romantic way in terms of like, oh, they're so perfect because they're older. And, oh, no. There are flawed older films. But this movie in particular is I had seen this movie a long time ago, and I I always liked this movie. I always liked the dialogue with the same stuff that you liked. I liked. And I and when we started doing this, we this was a fairly new addition to the list. Yes, it was. Yeah. And then as soon as I did, I was like, I really want to do this movie. So and that happens. Um, so I'm, I don't know. It's just, I would, to your point, I would recommend anybody that I would recommend anybody that's a writer should watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would still add on to that. You should watch a lot of Billy, Wild, Billy Wilder movies because you will learn a lot from that. You look at the amount of screenplays he's written. Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous. He just writes and writes and writes yeah. and writes and writes. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, was it Hecht who was known as, um. I think it was Ben Hecht who is is known. Yes, Ben Hecht is known as a he. He wrote all these role plays, but he is known as somebody who he's an uncredited rewrite. Like he will do rewrites on movies. Script doctor. Script doctor. Yes, yeah, I couldn't even think of the name. Thanks. He actually script doctored. Uh, they paid him ten thousand dollars at back then. I don't know if you want to do your math in terms of uh, in the seventies. And, and no, this is in nineteen. 19- you know what? Let me find that oh, out. Oh, and he wrote it around yeah, the time. This is in the 30s. Okay. 38, maybe? Might be 39. So he was paid $10,000 to script Doctor Gone with the Wind. Um, never got a credit for it. And uh, and that, and Gone, I think it's 39, right? Gone with the Wind was 39, right? Yeah, whatever. That movie beat out his movie, Wuthering Heights, for, for the writing Oscar, <laughs> even though he wrote most of Going With The Wind, even though he did a 10... He, but he yeah, he is known as a script doctor who works fast and works well. But that's something to be said about somebody who works fast. I mean, you can make a lot of money in Hollywood, script doctoring. You make a, Basically, you make a lot of money to do what you do best and not get any credit for it, but you can make a ton of money on that Yep, because you're, you're somebody that can fix the problem that the script has. The other thing with like some, some writers in Hollywood seem like they take forever to write a script. It's like, oh, yeah, my second draft is due in four months. It's like, what? Yeah, I know. Write your Sit yeah. down and write. Yeah. Oh, if that was my job, which I would love to have it be someday, but if that was my job where I was a writer, that's all. I mean, I get it. Some people just don't are wired like that, you know. Like George R. R. Martin. Yeah, oh, Christ. How do you 
how do you finish novel? Like that's what he asked Stephen King at a round table. How do you finish so many books? I write. Yeah. Well, Stephen King, it's a job. <laughs> Stephen King gets up, he goes to his office, he writes for eight hours and he goes, it's like a job. Yeah. That's what you have to do. You can't sit around as we, I'm not going to say who, but <laughs> how many times have I've had people come up to me like, ah, oh, Oh, you wrote that? I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It's not easy to write. You have to sit your butt down and write. And oh, yeah. a lot of the stuff you write is trash. It's absolute garbage that you just were like, oh, but you just get it on the page. But there's always people that will come up to me like, oh, I just need to find like the right inspiration out of the foot. I got to find the right place to sit. I had someone <laughs> tell me I got to find the right location in my house to sit and write. It's like, and I want to be like, you're never going to write. You're just, <laughs> and if you're waiting for divine intervention for, or, or some kind of inspiration for you to write, it's never going to happen. You have to write. Even when you don't want to write, you have to write. That's the only way to do it. It's yes, it's a creative art, and you're building, you're you're building something. It, it is artistry. It is also it's, it's craftsmanship, but it's also a job, and you got to treat it like that. Yeah. So ten thousand dollars <laughs> is worth one hundred eighty three thousand seven hundred fifty nine dollars and fifty seven cents. Could you imagine getting paid two hundred k to rewrite something? And just, I, I agree. I I would script doctor out my out my I just, ass. I just need you to punch it up a little bit. That's fine. 200k boom don't let's go so carrie fisher did in the 80s and 90s yep no no credit just hey Carrie, can you do this i know you're not a big fan of dabla cody but that's what she does i know she does a lot of script and so uh john sales was a huge script doctor and like he and then every once in a while he'll come out with his own movies and they're good but they're they're always like low independent but he made all his money just writing scripts rewriting scripts and stuff like that what we were doing oh diablo cody did an evil dead when we're talking about evil dead yeah but she made money. Yeah, exactly. That, that, yeah. That, I, I'm respecting. I'm respecting the 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 game there. I'm re- I'm respecting the somebody you know finding a niche. Excuse me, finding a niche and and running with it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But that, that, and this is all sparked off of Ben Hecht being a script doctor who works fast and works well. <laughs> um, but yeah. But you can tell. I mean, you just got to get it on the page at this point. But I would recommend this to people who I would recommend this to writers. Absolutely, any kind of writer. Sure. And to show, like, look what you can do with dialogue. That's the one thing. My, I read a, I don't, re, I don't read a lot of books. I read my fair share. I wouldn't say that I'm like, you know, an avid reader. No, I'm not. I can't. I just just I'm so doing a bunch of stuff, you know. So it does take me a while sometimes to get through a book. Mm. But I will tell you that, I, I find that dialogue in some of the books that I read, even though I like the books, the dialogue is terrible. Like, where, like, I, I'll sometimes. <sighs> Fun fact, when I'm reading a book, sometimes I'll say the dialogue out loud just to kind of get a sense for like, the I don't know, just How the voices and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, while I'm reading it, I won't necessarily read like Jim said, but I'll read his dialogue and then I'll just kind of read it. I'll just go through it. Just kind of going back and forth to do the conversation. Right. And it's it doesn't flow. And, and that's just that's just I think shows you like on the page. It sounds it must look better, but when you adapt a book or when it's something on screen or when you're trying to say it out loud, it, it, it just doesn't work and it doesn't ring true. And for me, I know I'll notice that when I'm reading something and it kind of, kind of takes me out a little bit. Well, let me ask you this. Cause I do it when I'm writing my, uh, when I write screenplays, do you say your dialogue as you're writing it or right before you write it to make sure like that it at least sounds kind of okay? No, I, I will do that when I, so when I write a script, I'll finish the script just whatever I just getting it down, getting the first pa- rough draft down. Right. I'll do several uh, passes through. You know, everyone's like, "Oh, you have to rewrite and rewrite." Yeah, yeah, you do. But I do specific passes through a script, so I'll go do a pass through for plot. I'll, just an overall, like, okay, let's make sure everything makes sense. Yeah. I'll do I'll do a pass on um, on character arcs, so make sure like if everyone 
uh, like even supporting characters, make sure that they have an arc that makes sense or a big arc. I'm able to tie it up, but I'll also do a dialogue pass. And in the dialogue pass, I'm saying it out loud just to see how it flows, just to see okay. if it makes sense. But even then, even stuff that gets by me, and we've done it, we've worked on stuff that I've written where we're shooting the scene and it's, and it's tough to get out for an actor. And I'm like, just make it your own. Uh, and you know what I mean? There's nothing, if there's nothing in there that you need to specifically say, like you need to say, get to the watchtower kind of thing. Yeah. But I'd rather it sound like it's you or the character rather than you trying to get this out the, the best way. I mean, certain certain directors can do that. Like the Coen brothers, I know they have a certain way how people yeah. should say stuff. I get that. Um, I guess it would depend on the script, but no, I, I, it, I'm always trying to make sure it sounds as natural as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back to the movie. Uh, I, I really do like the opening of the film with the newspaper. Oh, when they're putting it together. Yeah. They're putting That's it nice. together. It's, hey, oh, it's really cool. And seeing the print and the font, all the work. That yeah. Putting it all together. Can you imagine? It's awesome. Can you imagine making a mistake? It's done. <laughs> you're, you're screwed. Yeah putting all the print together, putting the letters together, oh, the stamps for each individual letter. I know. It's crazy. Uh, and it's awesome. And there's something to be said about movies with great opening sequences. Like that's a, that's an art that not a lot of directors or filmmakers have mm-hmm. anymore. Or even back then, it's it's a very rare thing to be really good at making an opening credit sequence. They don't have them. There's not that many Not now. as many anymore. You, do, you always have the Bond one. Yep. Do you know who's really good? Zack Snyder's actually surprisingly good at opening sequences. Well, you talk about, you're talking about Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah. Well, then what, what about the other ones? Uh, one? I believe Batman vs Superman had a pretty good had a pretty good opening sequence. Did that have to do ex- explanation stuff too? I don't remember. Yeah. I have to watch it again. Um, but and I think uh, there was a Dawn of the Dead Mall one. Yeah, that had a decent. That that was it. That was talking about like the, the infection and yeah, stuff spreading yeah. and stuff like that. But it's it's a lo- it's a really a lost art of being able to make something like you're watching an opening credit. You're not just sitting there going, when does it end? When does it end? Like an opening credit sequence that you you are watching the names. You're yeah. not realizing that you're looking at these names popping yeah. up, but you're also watching and interested in the opening credit sequence instead of slogging through it waiting for the movie to start. Well, most opening credit sequence, I guess, from the seventies and back are to obviously introduce all the characters. That's a big thing, but now they just start the movies usually. Well, back then you also had to put your credits up front. Yeah. And now it's kind of, you, don't, kind have of, you to, don't have to. Yeah. And that's kind of comes to George Lucas. Yeah. fights with. Yeah. About that. The one credit I don't like, not in this movie, but in movies in general is when somebody puts their ad at a Michael field film, like that stuff. I hate that uh, because it's not, well, this, it, this yeah. is in here too. I know, which is a weird one because they call it, it's my first note. In a Billy Wilder film of yeah, I've never seen that before. That's something that he negotiated. But instead of a Billy Wilder film, in a Billy Wilder, it's a Billy Wilder film of the front page. The front page. Yeah, I, I and just, the of was just really threw me off. Yeah, I was like, I've never seen that before. I don't. I'm not a fan of that because it it it, it assumes ownership of the entire movie, and you're not the only village. I I. I Listen, I understand the hierarchy of being on set. I've done it, and I get that. And the director should be the person in charge. There should be one person that has final say. But he's not the person that's got that's making every single he or she is not making every single decision. So you know, it's it takes a lot of people to to make a really good movie. And I just I don't I don't I've never liked that credit. I don't ever want that credit. Watch me have that credit. Like, (laughs) but I've never liked that credit. Hey, Mo, did you see that? (laughs) Hey, uh, Fielder. 
I'm going to go back to our, uh, remember five years ago when we were doing <laughs> the front page? Boom! Yeah, boom! What about films like Quentin Tarantino, Steven Spielberg, names that are really big? They don't. Uh, Billy uh, Wilder back then is really big. I know that on the posters it says a Steven Spielberg film. I yeah. get it. I, I understand why it's there. It's there to promote. Fine. I just don't, I just don't prefer it. You know, I understand it's reasoning for there. And I know that right. it's, it's obviously it's something that's negotiated in the contract. And I'm sure it's something that's has to do with the director's guild as well. Right. You, know, you need to put, okay, fine. I, I, that's fine. Whatever. I just don't prefer it. I mean, just because this is why it here is Mike and we fought for this. That's great. I don't like it. I don't prefer it. That's yeah. all. That's all. Just, you know, my preference. Yeah. So can I wrap it up now? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, do, I mean, I can keep talking about the movie, but it's just going to turn into me, you know. No, all all of my other notes are just just notes about how like different dialogue okay, well, stuff that I like. Well, but, how about this? I mean, I will say Earl is. We didn't really talk about Earl. I like Earl a lot. Well, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you other than Lemon and Mathau, who else stood out for you? Earl, so you're saying Pendleton? Er, okay. Earl's really good. Yeah, Pendleton when he's in the doing his interview with the shrink. Yeah. His lines are really snappy. They're really really good. The shrink is also is also not from the movie. Oh really? No, excuse me. Not from the play. He's mentioned in the play, but he's not from the play. They put him in this movie. Yeah. Is that the Freudian is logic really is great? Yeah. Were you happy with his job? No, I had a perfectly normal job. <laughs> 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 I thought that was really good. I got, uh, they should all go. All those Bolsheviks should go back where they come from. I'm from Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you feel about Wall Street, but <laughs> I put a bomb in it. <laughs> Even back then, nobody liked Wall Street. Yep. Well, this is before the. If this took place in twenty nine, June of twenty nine, when was the f- crash? September. Okay, so this we're, is before the crash, right which before, is interesting. Yeah. Which is interesting. They make reference to a couple things. They, you know what? I'm thinking they probably made reference. That's probably why that's in there to make reference to the crash. Mm-hmm. But they also make reference to the Scopes trial. Yep. Because he was like, "Yeah, me down there when when he's complaining to me about the goddamn monkey trial." And, and I don't know if people know about the Scopes trial, but it's you should. It's a, he was teaching. Um, the teacher's name is Scopes. He was teaching evolution in the classroom, and oh, that, that's forbidden. It's all about Adam and Eve, and yeah. huge trial, big time, big time trial that kind of you know changed the sh- uh, the face of education. Yeah, um, but I thought that was interesting. Like, and they also reference his girl Friday. At the end credits, um, when he they talk about how Hildy, so they have the scroll going up, and when he gives the line, yeah. "Son of a bitch stole my watch," you learn about what happened to everybody, and Hildy actually gets arrested and comes back and takes over as managing editor. And then they talk about Peggy, which is Susan Sarandon's character. She goes on and she meets somebody, and they marry, and they mar- they name their first daughter Hildy, Hildy yeah. which is supposed to be a kind of a uh, reference to his girl Friday, because okay. that's yeah. So I thought that was interesting too. Interesting. You like that? You like that? So maybe his girl Friday is actually a sequel. <laughs> it was 30 years they, before they all exist in a shared universe it is a shared absolutely so the <laughs> snyder cut of his girl friday is going to come out it's four hours long and i think you find out <laughs> you find out that uh walter and hildy have the same their mother has the same name uh as uh, martha <laughs> save martha and, then, and, and it's actually cyborg getting executed because i don't know because <laughs> he's a bolshevik <laughs> oh, that's his girl Friday Snyder cut. Hallelujah! That's actually out now, right? Is it the third? When's that come out? The Snyder cut. Yeah, next year. Oh, next year. Yeah, I thought it was this year. Yeah, no, I'm, I've already forgotten about it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> they won't let you forget about it. Now, I don't want to talk about the Snyder cut while we're doing front page. 
because that's just a that's just a slap in the face at the front page. You brought it up. I know I did. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, Butler, then why would you think it's forgotten? Is, I it, think, is this forgotten? I think it's forgotten. I had never even heard of it. There you go. And here's why. Billy Wilder is such an accomplished director with such a huge list of credits. And I'm not saying this movie's up there. This movie's just as good as those other movies. Absolutely. I, I really like this. But when you think of Billy Wilder, most people think of some like it hot. Yep. And that's like good, but it's not anywhere near like the accomplishments of him. Right. Yeah. It's like there's so many other movies. And then when you talk about Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau, Grumpy Old Men, you got the odd couple. Probably the odd couple. Well, modern audience, maybe Grumpy Old Men is what they know. Grumpy but then if you're looking back, people are going to think the odd couple. The original, yep. And it's just these movies are bigger than them almost. Yep. To the point where now you don't look at the rest of their work or they're not known for the rest of the work. Right. So it's hidden behind these like a wall, like this great wall of these awesome works that is hiding all these other awesome things that they've done. Like Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau worked together 11 times. Yep. But you really just know Grumpy Old Men and Odd Couple. Which is, yeah, which is unfortunate, uh, especially in terms of Billy Wilder. Like like I mentioned before, like you should see, you should look up Billy, if you're a filmmaker, if you're into film. I don't know if, maybe if you like this movie or you like Some Like It Hot, you really should check out a lot of his other stuff because it's, I will tell you right now, Double Indemnity is something you should watch. Sunset mm-hmm. Boulevard is something you should watch. The Lost Weekend is something you should watch. These movies are great. And, um, you know, they're obviously of the time, so they're not, they might not, if you're expecting a modern telling of a movie, you're not, you're not going to. Well, what I like about Billy Wilder films is they don't, they are kind of of the time, but he directs in a, a, a more quick motion, like a quick way. Right. He doesn't direct or hold camera in a way that bores you, I feel. And he sets up shots in a way that makes it watchable. Like Some Like It Hot, even today, is entirely watchable. Mm-hmm. For, for the most part, because it's not filmed like a movie from the 50s. It's not your typical 1950s movie. It, it really is this quick, quick cuts, quick jumps, quick jokes. It's a really nice the way his movies move, which is good. He also does in-camera editing. So he cuts in-camera when filming. Do you know what that means? So when he records, mm-hmm. he cuts. They go to the next scene. They, yeah. don't, they don't go back and do the scene over. They go... Okay, let's moving on, moving on, moving on. And he does the entire scene in so it's on one strip of film. So the edit, this edit took four days. The rough cut of this edit took four days because he cuts it in camera. Now he may go back and redo the entire scene again. Right. Which to be fair, a movie like this, you can because it's pretty much a stage play. So everybody knows their lines. Uh, So it's it's easier to do that way. But he does not. Okay, let's go again. Okay, let's go again. No, he just goes straight through, which. Yeah. I would like to do a movie like that. I'd love to see how fast we could run with that. Be interesting. It'd be all about rehearsals. It would all it all about rehearsals, and I would it would be all about finding actors that have major stage work. You know what I mean? Like that. Oh are, yeah, you that, can't get film old film only no, actors. No, I have to memorize yeah. how many pages. Screw that. All the pages. Exactly. All the pages. Yeah, honestly, what's, <laughs> this is the craft. Why? Why wouldn't you want to dive into this? Yeah, I don't get actors who don't have their lines memorized. For film work, because they're not in it for acting, right? They're in it for something else. It's just, and they can be good at what they do, but yeah. that's they're not in it for the the reason maybe that you would be in it, or somebody like Al Pacino would be in it when he comes onto the stage, or people that are on stage that you get into acting to to play to to play pretend, yes, but it's also to play pretend with characters to to find you know things you love about yourself within right. characters, things you love about characters within yourself. Like that's the whole idea. 
But if you're not, if you're in it just to be in movies, to be a movie star, to be this, yeah, you can, you might find major success, but that's not really how, that's not really what I would look for in terms of wanting to. It's not how the greats do it. Yeah. Correct. I mean, and that just, but you don't have to be a great. That's, that's the, that's the best thing. Yeah. You can be whatever you want. But if you want to be somebody, but like, if somebody comes up to me and compares, let's say, I'm not going to say anybody off the top of my head, but just a mediocre actor. Let's just say that. Some random movie star actor. And he's like, oh, he's just like Jack Lemmon. He's like, no, stop. He's not. Because that's somebody who is the pinnacle of your profession. And yeah. you shouldn't, if, if you even, if you even want to be on his level, you would never consider yourself like that. You know what I mean? You would just kind of, Try it's nice. Best. Right, yeah. right. But, but I, I think just, I think there's far more people that are back in the 60s or 50s, like older actors now, but who came up. There are far more people that are more established and accomplished back then than there are now. I think not enough people come from the stage now. I don't right. know how you feel about that. But that's, I, th I think that's true. I don't know. Maybe they don't just, people just don't want to make the transition or. Yeah. And I don't even know if it's necessarily they don't come from stage, but they don't come from a, a point of really trying to. Grasp their character, really putting in the work. Maybe I get that. Like I know that, like Robert Downey Jr. He was in this this small independent movie with this kid, right after Iron Man, and they were doing interviews. I can't remember the movie, but basically the kid asked Robert Downey Jr. for advice, and Robert Downey Jr.'s advice was read the script. Yeah. And when you're done filming for the day, read the script again and read the script again before you even start for the. You should read that script. Have read a script a hundred times. Before you start day one filming the filming the thing, and I always took that as like that's really good advice. And you're like, wow, mm -hmm. and that's a guy that makes you know he made Iron Man, he made like a bajillion dollars, mm -hmm. but he's still putting in that work with his character. Yeah, and that's that's what you have to do. You look at, like we said, Gyllenhaal. We look at, I mean, I don't like him, but you know, <laughs> what's his what's his name from Gangs of New York? DiCaprio? No, the. the Daniel Day-Lewis? Day you don't like Daniel Day-Lewis? No, I told you because he's an asshole. He, he's, I don't like his method, but he puts in the work. He's not an asshole. In real life? No way. No way. Why? Did you hear something? He beat a puppy up or something? I just, the way he talks, it just he seems snooty, but that's fine. He's, oh, no, he's good. Come on, dude. He he goes and learns, no, like the I, Phantom Thread. I'm, Phantom I'm, Thread. I'm, he I'm went and learned how to be a dressmaker. I'm, I don't like him, but he puts in the work. And yes. that's what you have to like. Maybe don't go as far as that, but that's still someone who puts in the work. Right. And that's what you have to do. See, I'm a, I, I, whatever, I understand what you're saying. Is, whatever your work is, whether it's reading the script under times, going sure. and learning to be at that person. But they're no matter what, they're putting hours and hours and hours of preparation into their character. Sure. You got to do character work. Yeah. I can't believe you don't like Daniel Day-Lewis. We've talked about this before. We have? Yeah. I don't agree with his method. I'm not saying he's a bad actor at all. He's a fantastic actor. Well, you, it doesn't work for you. Like that method doesn't work for you. Don't go around punching people on set. Who do you punch on set? Well, gangs in New York. He's trying to fight with everybody. Well, that was Bill the Butcher. Oh my god. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> eh, I don't care. I'm sure he. I'm sure he. I'm sure he wasn't really trying to beat people up. I'm sure it was. You know. Come on. I don't know. I have to really. God, he's really good though. What yeah. about Russell Crowe? What about Russell Crowe? Does that Russell Crowe's intense? Oh, Russell Crowe's just. Mean. <laughs> That's all right too. Throwing stuff, throwing phones at people. Sometimes Although even, on set, I don't know if he's actually, you know, mean. Because we're talking, we've been we've talked about people that are intense, that in terms of their acting style, right? 
Who was the other person we were talking about? Oh, Edward Norton. Oh yeah, Edward Norton yeah. gets in there. Yeah. So what? Listen, I I think that I'm trying to think. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, obviously, I don't want to punch people in the face, but I mean, it, it, that would make me feel like he's really trying. I got to really try. You know what I mean? If I was an actor or if I was a director on the set and I'm like, well, look how much he's doing. You know what? I got to make sure that I'm on point. Wouldn't, right. that, wouldn't that make you feel that way? No, if you were working alongside him, would it, would it intimidate you in that regard? Do you think that would intimidate you where you wouldn't be able to do your performance? I think he'd be hard to work with. Yeah. But I would try to up my game, if not only to show him that you don't have to be. Let's say this. Let's say you're the Paul Dano character and there will be blood. Okay. And he's the way he is. Mm-hmm. Would you lean into that feeling of being intimidated by him for the performance? Well, I feel like I'd have to. Yeah. I, I'd probably have to be that character as well on set. Right. It's probably something he, he requests. But I would also feel like I would need to elevate my performance, if not only to show him that you don't have to be quite the psychopath. Okay. Like he is and he might respect it. that. Exactly. Uh, that's fine. Come on. You would love to work with Danny DeLewis. Come Call him up. Get him on the phone. That's <laughs> like, that's like as much as like if I don't like a director, but you would be in his movie. Like if you bowl called me and was like, I want you. Oh no, because well, you're, you're you're in a position where you yeah you can like, say no. Yeah, I know you're in a position. Oh, obviously, obviously. But all right, that's fine. I yeah, get I mean, you. It's something you. I would absolutely learn from him. I would maybe not go as far as him, but there's stuff to learn from his acting method, and I, I think. That regardless of how he thinks he needs what he needs to get there, he is still acting in the end. Sure. And you can still learn what he's doing when he when he's actually acting. Well, how about this, though? For him, maybe that's the only way that he can truly get to the type of performance he wants is if he does it that way. Do you respect that way, that thinking? I still think he's crazy, but yes. <laughs> but I still think at the end of the day, what he's going to end up getting to is this professional pretending that okay that's when you can start borrowing from. new question what if you find out that jack lemon is just the same way as danny de lewis when he does would that would that make you not like jack lemon in movies now no i would still think he was a fantastic actor but yeah as i'd be like eh, he's kind of see, exactly ass. see there you but, but that, i still think he eh, was an ass then he's not though i don't know I, don't, I, I, I don't believe he i is. actually don't even know his what his acting kind of method was in terms of I would assume it's a lot of rehearsal and shit I like think that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, if he's a stage actor. I yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, well, I know this. We we got off topic because we were talking about why it's forgotten. Um, <laughs> I think it's forgotten because it's an older film. It's a, it's. A, I mean, we say this all the time. It's forty five years old, forty six years old. 46, yep. So I mean, it's almost fifty years old. It's it's these movies are going to get forgotten. Um, we couldn't. We had to rent it. Right. Well, yep. we we we, we no, bit, it's, it's only on, for rent on Amazon. No, it was on Peacock. You have to get the Peacock. Yeah. Uh, so the Peacock Prime or Premium or whatever. I'm surprised. It. I really wish a lot of movies were a little bit more. It's Universal, so that makes sense. That makes sense because it's Universal. Right. Um. So, but it's a it's it's definitely a movie that I think people that love dialogue that love maybe they love sh- movies that takes place in the 20s or. Maybe they loved His Girl Friday when they saw it. it, it <laughs> I think it's a, it, it's definitely not a movie that I would recommend to somebody who just loves Marvel movies and stuff like that. You know, I don't think they could appreciate like action movies or superhero movies. I don't think ninety five percent of the movies on our list you could recommend. To Which I like. That's why I like, like your list. Movies. That's why I like your list. There's other movies out there other than That's Big Tempo movies. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So 
join us next week because they just mentioned Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually going to be doing a movie that I have not seen in quite some. I think I only saw it in the theater. And I've seen it. I've seen pieces of it on HBO and stuff like that, but I never watched it all the way through just because I know it's such a long movie. We're doing Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, 2003 movie with Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany. And who else? That's the only two I remember. That's the only two I remember. <laughs> I, I, I'm the one that put this on the list. I don't remember a lot about the movie. You don't remember why you put it on the list? I don't remember all the characters. I do remember the plot of the movie and a lot, a lot of movies. I know why I put this on the list. I really like this movie. Well, because I think when people talk about Russell Crowe, they talk about Gladiator. You know, like, like when Russell, for Beautiful oh, yeah, Mind, yeah. obviously, because he won LA Confidential, which is awesome. And he's awesome in it, but not, I mean, Master Commander is an accomplished film, but it doesn't really get a lot. I think probably because it's, you know, it's a, it's a period piece. Yeah. I know why it's forgotten. It's why it's boring. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to watch a boring movie. I'm sorry. Great. I don't think it's boring. We'll, we'll, you know. I, I don't think it's boring. They got that whole thing about weevils. in it. <laughs> if you enjoy the subject matter, it's very interesting. Yeah. And I think who wouldn't the history the history lover in me really likes this movie. Who, Peter Himes directed this movie? I can't remember who directed this movie. We'll, fit. well you know what? Know. We'll find out next Stay week. Stay tuned next week. It's not Peter <laughs> Himes. It's somebody else. Stay tuned next week, and I'll correct myself. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Thanks. You Watch the front page, guys. It's great. And if you like our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to us. If you want to let people know where to find us, you can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com. You can find us there as well, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Reach out to us on social media, Forgotten Cinema. We put out commercials every week. Let us know in the comments what you think of the front page or what movies you'd like us to do. We'll put them on the list. We'll do them at some point. Uh, we always like to have a dialogue about movies. So that's what we're here for. And yeah. That's it. Next week, Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.